Welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast, where three generations of pastors discuss life and ministry. I'm your host, Ryan Haskins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andy and Glenn. And as always, we like to start our discussions by a uh, question that we get to compare the uh, generations and how we approach certain things. So our question for the morning, gentlemen, is what is the worst injury that you have ever sustained? Um, and Or it could be the most humorous injury. I, I will allow you to go either way. But when you think about the scars, and the broken bones, and the stories in your past, what comes to mind? Mm, that's an easy one for me. That uh, was the first one that I remember. Uh, I still have the scar on my right knee. I was showing off for a, uh, for a classmate named Ellen who lived in the neighborhood, and I was determined to uh, get my bike bicycle going as fast as it could and to stand up on the seat and to let go of the handlebars and to just show her how much of a magician I was on the bike. And it uh, didn't even last a second and I uh, hit the pavement. There's a rock that my knee landed on, just uh, ripped it open. And, uh, and I definitely made an impression upon Ellen that, that, that particular day. <laughs> but it wasn't the one that I wanted. And, uh, and my knee felt the brunt of that impression as well. Well, I think for me, the probably the worst injury um, was uh, almost cutting my finger off. Um, we were doing some tornado recovery many years ago, and uh, we uh, were helping to install one of those uh, attic ladders uh, that, that you stick up there, and they have spring-loaded uh, kind of latches that you pull down, and the ladder comes down. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was just trying to help, and I put my hand in the wrong spot. And the spring-loaded latch came back up, mm. and uh, I caught my mm. finger in there, and uh, got a, a nice slice across my finger, and ended up with 15 stitches. Uh, my finger back on, and to this day, I have feeling on one side of my finger, and I don't have feeling on the other side of my finger because um, the nerves have never really completely come back. Um, doesn't really hurt anymore, but I do have a nice uh, gnarly scar that goes across my finger because of that. Oh, that hurts thinking about. Yeah. Mm. Well, mine, I have, I've got a lot of scars. I have, I, I have no idea how this has happened. I have never broken a bone, um, but mine, I'm going to go with not the, the, the most traumatic event that by the grace of God wasn't an injury, but the story that has followed me around my entire life. So I'm, I, I might as well just share it with you men and all of the listeners here. Uh, when I was eight, I was playing Cowboys and Indians, which is probably politically incorrect at the moment, but deal with it, um, with my friends. And uh, after a friend, I don't know which side of this I was on. I should say cops and robbers. I was playing cops and robbers. We're going to change the story for the politically correct. We're, we're playing cops and robbers. I, I don't know which side I was on. My, I was in my second story bedroom and my friend pretended to shoot me. And I, and I actually fell backwards and I fell out my second story window and oh, no. landed on the ground. Um, and uh, my friend then ran to go to go find our moms who were somewhere in the house and ran in and was like, Ryan fell out the window. And my parents, when when my mom looked down, I wasn't laying on the ground, but she but the screen was there. And that's because I had gotten up. And about at that time, I rang our front doorbell because I was like, why was I taking a nap on the front lawn? Um, so <laughs> I knocked myself out on the windowsill falling. I knocked myself conscious when I hit the ground. 
I broke no bones. And the only person who had to lay on the couch to recover was my mom out of shock. Um, and that story follows me around to this day. So now you gentlemen know about it. Oh, that's great. Well, I asked that question because our, our podcast discussion for the day is going to be on suffering. As pastors, we have the privilege of sitting with people in pain and sitting with people in the darkest moments of their life. Uh, we're often called into hospital rooms. We're often called into situations that we hate that the person is in. And if we're honest, that we hate that we hate even have to be there. Yet we have the privilege of um, supporting people through tough times. But it's one of those things that as pastors, it it's hard to prepare yourself for walking into a hospital room or for hearing a cancer diagnosis or for um, sitting with somebody grieving the loss of a loved one. Um, and so we're just going to have a discussion about best practices of how to approach those who are suffering, who, who are in need. Um, maybe even share some helpful, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of tips, some helpful things to not do that we've either seen um, other people do or maybe even made the mistake ourselves. Um, but I just, I'll, I guess I'll start our discussion with asking the question, when you think back of those situations uh, where we had the opportunity to um, serve those in need, is there one such story that sticks out? And obviously, we're going to maintain the confidentiality of the people involved. But is there a story that when you when you think about suffering that your mind automatically goes to um, that, that we can just start with to um, kind of best uh, uh, focus our attention in this whole discussion? Uh, this is Glenn. Yeah, my mind goes right back to one that I so wish I could have a do-over on. Um, a lot of lessons that I've meditated on from since then. Uh, early, early in my pastoral career, um, there was uh, a gentleman from an African country who had come to America. Had been here a couple of years. Had a, a, a wife and a, and a daughter. And they were on their, the wife and the daughter were on their way to pick this, the husband and the father up and had a car accident and both, both perished. Um, and, and to, and so, and I haven't, I had never been around any situation like that before. Um, and I knew I was supposed to do something, really didn't know, know what to do. I, I, I finally because there's no words, you don't know how to, I certainly didn't know how to relate to this or what I was going to walk into. Um, and so I walk into this, uh, into, oh, go over to his home. And, uh, and I did show up, uh, thankfully, but, uh, but that particular culture, uh, you know, people, a lot of people showed up uh, from, uh, from, from, uh, from where he was from in Africa that he had gotten to know in the community that we were at. And they, they just, uh, I mean, it was just a, a lot of loud crying and wailing and, and it went on for, for hours and, and then even, even days of just sitting in that. And that was just so unlike anything that I had ever been around or been a part of. And, and, uh, and I didn't last long to my shame and wish I could have gone back and been more a part of, how they expressed coming alongside one another, but uh, uh, so that that reflecting on that has helped me to hopefully be a little bit more sensitive culturally to how to do it, 
as well as just to, to suck it up and grow uh, in my own uh, in my own ability to be able to to meet people empathetically. Yeah, my my mind runs to a, a story um, early in my pastoral ministry, working on a, a large church staff. Um, I happened to be the person that was in the office at the time, and uh, and a call came in uh, from uh, the hospital, some congregants that were associated, not really well known, didn't have a lot of connections in the church, but uh, they were basically had a, a baby that had been stillborn. And, uh, and so I, I was the person that was there. And so I was called to go to the hospital and really didn't have a lot of preparation, didn't have a lot of time to think about it. That's not what I woke up that morning planning to do, obviously, and mm-hmm. uh, just had to kind of walk into the middle of the situation. And, you know, I, I think for most of it, it was just a matter of being there. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to have a I didn't know and I couldn't think of a good scripture necessarily to share with them. You know, if I was to come back now, I might have a few others I could I could think of. But um, it was coming alongside them. It was praying for them. Uh, It was, you know, loving them, um, crying with them uh, through all of that that moment. And then ultimately being a part of the uh, the service that they had uh, about a week later um, and uh, and just sharing that grief with them in that moment. Yeah. Mine was, um, it wasn't a death, but it was a, a a traumatic accident. Uh, there was a, a a congregate member of ours heading to work one Monday morning and was hit head on by a, um, a sleepy driver, somebody who was coming home from a night shift. And so it was 5 AM, one person heading to bed, one person had just gotten up and was heading to work. And, um, this person was hit head on and, uh, um, I, I saw him first when he was in the hospital, he was potentially brain dead tubes all over the place. And I was meeting his wife for the first time. Um, his wife did, does not, uh, um, attend our church, but just walking into that place where there's so many unknowns. Um, and it's, you know, their survival is, is, uh, improbable and bleak. And at the same time, it's trying to make a connection with a family and um, and offering words of encouragement. And yeah, again, if I could go back and and uh, do it all again, I think I would have different things to say. Uh, and at the same time, it was an honor uh, just to just to be there and and to and to make that connection with with this wife in this way. And and it allowed us to um, continue to have a relationship after the fact. So as I said, this is dealing with suffering and grief is not something that's necessarily trained um, that pastors or elders or church members go through in training. Um, it's a it's a badge of honor that I think is earned through those tough moments. And I think it's earned through those uh, moments of I wish we could do it all over again. But maybe just speaking to the elder pastor congregant member that has never gone through these moments, has never had the opportunity to walk with somebody through suffering. Uh, what what advice, and again, as I said, I like tips, what advice could we give them about what to do? And then maybe even more, more importantly, what advice would we give them about to not to do to at least set them up for um, as much 
quote unquote, success to encourage these people as possible? Well, I, I think I would start with seeing if you could find someone that has gone through that the difficulty and maybe is on the other side. Uh, maybe it's another pastor. Maybe it's another um, leader that has that that gift of comfort and care that you can just watch. Um, I, I my my first ever hospital visit came in a very weird way. Um, I was heading towards ministry, was still still quite a ways out, and I had the opportunity to do premarital counseling uh, with a pastor. And that pastor had actually suffered a lot of trauma. He had. I think broken his back at one point and ended up in the hospital in a halo. Um, if you're familiar with that, it's basically an apparatus that holds your head still so that you don't become paralyzed. Um, mm-hmm. And he had lived in that for for a while. And he, we went to him for premarital counseling, and uh, we showed up, and he said, "Here, your wife's going to stay here with my wife. I got to go do a call." And we got in the car, and we did premarital counseling on the way to the hospital and the way back. And in the middle of that, he took me into somebody's uh, hospital room and ministered to them, and I got to watch. And uh, and that experience is kind of seared into my mind of just the care that he showed to that person. So my, my first thing would be, you know, find someone, uh, maybe it's even calling a local hospital, asking for their chaplain and saying, hey, can I, can I shadow you for a day? Um, can I see what you do? Um, and, and get someone that you might be able to be trained by to get those kind of experiences. So that, that would be my first thing. You know, Andy, I think that's really good and really important to, uh, yeah, to do just what you said, to look for someone and to learn. Uh, where my mind goes is, is what was helpful to me to learn and what I would want to just share with others is that, that grief is a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that our visits there, that moment, that day, that week, and, and time goes on, is going to have, there's going to be a progression of, of, uh, of elements to it. And just being aware of that. And, and just think, looking through, through the, the book of Job in the Old Testament, think, I think there's a reason that it's such a long book and it's so tedious in, in, in kind of going through it. Because it's it it kind of shows that journey uh, of grief and all of the places where our minds go, and uh, and things that we can learn both to do and to not do uh, by by looking at that at, at that particular uh, example, um, you know, from the the, the the disbelief that you're even maybe that they're even in this position and suffering in, in the way they are, to the anger that could come to to God or to the people involved in whatever it is. To then, you know, I just think of bargaining, um, depression, uh, and finally to the point, hopefully, uh, and who knows how far down the road where there's an acceptance of, of what happened and so forth. But that isn't going to happen in that first visit. Uh, and that first visit might be just being there, showing up and saying, don't know what to say. Uh, in fact, I have a, a friend that just uh, found some difficult news yesterday. And... Uh, let me see if I can call it up here. And I'm sitting there last night trying to think, talking to uh, my wife, Karen. Um, what, am, what am I going to say here? Um, and, I, and I just put my friend and my brother. So I don't even know what to say, except I love you. I'm praying for you and your family. And I'm here if you need someone or something. Um, 
it's pretty much all I could muster at that time. And I'm not sure he needed to need, need to hear anything more at that particular time. But just again, that presence, even if it's through a text of, uh, you know, love you. We're here. We see you. We feel you. And, uh, and then just see where, where it goes from there in that journey. I think that cycle, Glenn, that you talk about can scare so many people because they start to hear friends and family members and even themselves mm -hmm. voice things that they never thought they would voice, mm -hmm. even concerns about God's goodness um, and his presence. Right. And it's amazing what comes out of us in moments of grief and sorrow. And I, I think something that, that, something that grounds me and then I've had the opportunity to encourage others is as they're going through that, the process of grief is God is big enough to handle all of that. And I've seen people that have um, almost stalled their grief because they thought they were unwilling to be honest with God. But what we see, especially in the Psalms, I think it, this comes up more is how much lament and I mean, brutal honesty that, the psalmists have with God. I mean, it's like, where are you? This is not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and you also see the other side of that with Psalm 23. Oh, you were with me in the valley of the shadow of death. But you also hear David, especially, mm -hmm. writing in those valleys. And it's it's it, it, it could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be definitely questioning. And, and I think as a pastor, one of the roles that we play is sitting with people even when they're um, their faith seems volatile because it's not their emotions are, but our faith is held fast, not by our faithfulness, but by God's. So, you know, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Yeah. Uh, so instead of, I, I know I have, I have sat with people and in their grief and sorrow, they have said things that are theologically incorrect, are spiritually damning, is like, oh, I wish I could fix it. But it's like, you know what? Just let it just let it sit. That's not time for the theological lesson. And if there's one mistake that I think I I'm I've fallen into most often, I think a lot of guys can is to think that you have to grieve well. And by well, it's you got to grieve accurately. Hmm. But who's to say who grieves accurately? Yeah. Well, and I think so many of those psalms, there there is those laments and those cries. Um, I think what we often don't allow for is the time. You know, mm -hmm. who who knows how long it took, you know, the psalmist or David to write that song? How long were they in, you know, the the crying out to God, which might be in verse two and three, and then the resolutions in four, and we try to push people like, well, get out of verse two and three, get to four. Yeah. Um, when when we really, they, sometimes they need to need to sit in those, and and you know have their in, in some sense have their faith strengthened by going through those things. Recently, I've been preaching through John eleven, and one of the things that stuck out to me with Jesus this is uh, the death of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha send um, messengers to Jesus, who's across the Jordan at this time. So you know, miles away, a, a long journey for this time and say, hey, come quickly, my my brother's dying. And immediately Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is happening for the so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed mm -hmm. to the world. And then he stays there two days. And he, he cognitively un, in his divinity understood and knew what was about to happen. Same thing with the blind man, 
This is not for Lazarus's demise. This is so that God's name can be glorified. Waits there two days so that he's dead. But then he comes to the tomb and Mary and Martha are questioning him of like, Lord, why didn't you come faster? My brother could have been alive. And he's, he's, and it talks about like all these mourners that are, that are going on and they journey from the house to the, to the tomb. And so Jesus is in that commotion, Glenn, that, that you were a, a, a part of with, with that dear friend who, mm-hmm. who had um, their parents pass away. And instead of jumping to the logical, reasonable, theological explanation of guys, I told you from the very beginning that this is going to be for God's glory and that this is going to, you know, stop your mourning. This isn't going to be a morning. This is going to be a celebration. I'm going to fix this. Like instead of going there, we have the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus <laughs> wept. And just that juxtaposition between theology and emotion, mm-hmm. Jesus had both. And he, even knowing what he was about to do, stopped and wept. And I know for me, that's a hard thing for me to get to in these emotions. Like, I'm just going to weep with you. Because the only thing I can do is, the only thing, I mean, I'm not the Savior. Christ was the Savior. And even the Savior thought, I'm, I can fix, I will fix all of this but I'm still going to mourn over the fact that it's even happening. Um, so I just think emotion, emotion and, and um, weeping with the person who weeps is probably the best care at times we can give, even outside of a Bible verse. Yeah. One other thing that I, I maybe would put in the tips category is I think a lot of times too, if, if you haven't been exposed to a hospital situation, it can be a little bit overwhelming, you know, depending on the the nature of the injury or the difficulty. And you go in and you see all the IVs and the machines and 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 can be definitely a little bit scary and off-putting. Um, but uh, I would encourage those that go in uh, to ask the person, but but to not um, denigrate the idea of a physical touch. Um, I, I found mm-hmm. oftentimes just sitting down at somebody's bedside, um, being willing to hold their hand um, and to sit there with them when you pray with them. You know, they're, if they're in the hospital, they're getting clinical care, which has to do with, you know, making sure all the things are doing, uh, all, all, the, all the machinery of, is keeping them alive and all the nurses are trying to make sure that they're staying sterile and that idea of a physical touch often does not exist. And, and you know, I guess in some situations there's maybe a, a slight level of danger, but you want to make sure you, you know, you take your precautions and wash your hands and do all those things. But man, just just the opportunity of a physical touch to hold their hand, to pray with them, and, and to let them know that you are there, I think is a is an important thing. Hmm. It is interesting in moments of trauma, in physical traumas specifically how people can be dehumanized because the only thing that's cared for is their, the physical attributes, as you said, blood, organs, muscles, the body, but we're more than that. And Andy, I've, I've experienced that where you walk in and you see the whole person for who they are and understand too, because this, this would be a, another side in, in a medical situation, modesty goes out the window. And unfortunately, I've been in rooms. I'm like, holy cow, I'm leaving. I need to leave very soon. But if you, if we can enter in and we can see the whole person, 
body, soul, and spirit emotions. And yeah, you grab that hand and say, I, it's not, I, I'm not, I'm not here for your organs or for that cut or laceration or whatever. I'm here for you as the whole person and give them their dignity back as the human. And I'm not to say that the medical personnel doesn't ha have that, but they have, they're looking at a different angle, but giving, giving them that, that honor back speaks volumes, um, which also means I've, I found at times staying less time than what you would think. I've walked in and, and, and needed like, Oh, doctors are here. I'm leaving because I'm not, unless you ask me to be privy to your medical information, I don't want to be privy to it. Or just reading the room of saying, I think I, I need to come in and spend five, 10, 15 minutes, not an hour because an hour would be mm -hmm. intruding upon whatever. Or at times I've even had people say, please don't come see me, call me yeah, because they don't want in their mind, they don't want people to see them not put together. Um, so I think understanding those other distinctions is important as you enter into those spaces. With all of that, that both of you have said, just that there's such power in response. Uh, whatever that response might be, whatever, whatever uh, is appropriate for that time, I think our prayer is, Lord, I do want to respond. We as humans need each other to respond to one another. Help me know what's appropriate here. But I'm going to pray that and ask you to give that to me because I know it's important. Because I've needed it. I've wanted it. Uh, I benefit from it, and I certainly want to uh, uh, to be a blessing to others as I have been blessed. Are there any key verses that you guys go to um, on a consistent basis? And I'm specifically thinking of when you walk into that hospital room and the unthinkable has happened. Um, and I, I, I know that, you know, even to your text last night, Glenn, it, at times it's you have no words, but are there any consistent passages that you would recommend for maybe just consider offering to those in moments of suffering? I mean, I, I often turn back to Second Corinthians 1, uh, where Paul talks about that we comfort those with the comfort that we have received from Christ. And, you know, Sometimes it's appropriate to, when you talk about what is the why, that sometimes we're scarred so that we can share those scars with others that are scarred. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I maybe it's more of a personal philosophy that I think about my own difficulties, scars, pains, mm -hmm. um, and now I, then I'm able to share with them the comfort that I received from Christ. Um, but I, I think it also provides some, some, uh, comfort and some perspective to folks that maybe this suffering isn't for nothing. Um, so sometimes I'll, I'll just turn and read to that, read that passage there in second Corinthians one. Yeah. My default is to, is to go to Psalms and just to try to, to find one that I think might relate either for myself and settle me and prepare me as well as uh, then from out of that, uh, be able to share uh, something of our humanness or his godness uh, and where those two could meet at that particular time in that situation. I, I often go to, and this is in, in similar lines of Andy, Second uh, Corinthians 4 and 5, of um, that we are jars of clay of mm -hmm. made in earthenware. And in, in those moments of suffering, people are feeling their humanity and brokenness. 
um, and, and inability more the most and, and the illusion that we are strong is stripped away of, and just reminding people that this is what the Lord had, this is who the Lord has chosen to use. So that even in our brokenness, um, he is still working in us and through us. Uh, and that, and that in Christ, we're made new creations and that we can long for the day where after the resurrection, when even, even with trauma, um, and as the story I started with, even with, with brain damage, it's one day, Greg is going to wake up with a new body and new mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, rejoice with Christ that that suffering is over. So any last thoughts? Gentlemen, before we sign off, I, I was reminded the other day um, about uh, an old Puritan quote that talks about the importance of uh, understanding justification by faith. Um, because if you don't understand that, then every trial becomes a double trial because you wonder if Jesus hates you. Mm. And so I, I think that the mm. solidity of understanding that you are justified and you are safe with Christ. And so whatever happens whatever trial whatever difficulty there is a security there is a peace um you know i think of john 14 that this peace that he's giving to you because that has been settled and so all of the other difficulties all of the other trials all the other things that may happen um are, are really anchored now because of that of that truth so um you know i i just think of that that theology holds us tightly Amen. That's really good. And uh, yeah, as you reminded us of where true safety comes from, I would like to say just after this discussion, and even before knowing you guys, I would be safe with you guys um, coming alongside and I get in this particular point. And and I think it's just uh, important in life just to uh, be walking together with others because we never know when we will need those others to come alongside of us and uh, not to isolate ourselves from the get-go, but to know that there are going to be days when it's going to be beyond us and we're going to need others. I think that's the best word to to end on, Glenn, because when we approach this, there's some some folks um, that would think, I'm never going to need to be in this situation. And yet, death, unless the Lord comes, Mm -hmm. is is, is coming for all of us. And so we will all be in the situation and we can all, as Andy said, hold fast to Christ. So, well, thank you for listening to the comparing notes podcast. We hope that you found this discussion encouraging. Um, and we hope that you, uh, use it as Andy said, to, to rest in Christ today, because regardless of what you're going through, um, whatever tribulations or trials, uh, Christ is your sure hope and anchor. Uh, We hope that you'll join us next week. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com. 